Mark 14, 12 to 26. The Last Supper is prepared. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is this guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparation for us there. The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. Exodus 13 verses, Exodus 12, sorry, verse 1 to 30. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be a year-old male, without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood, 
and put it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat, roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs, the bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the heads, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of your doorframe and he will pass over the doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, Observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover. 
it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared their homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh, in all his officials, and the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Um, today we're going to share in communion, and uh, you know we symbolically reproduce the Lord's Supper with his disciples that we read about in Mark's Gospel, uh, which for them was the Passover meal. And I thought it would be useful to remind ourselves of the significance and the meaning and the origin of our communion service, which is why we also had the reading about the Passover in Exodus 12. And it's here that God's people, who were slaves in Egypt, were given detailed instructions about the preparations of this special meal of roast lamb. And... uh, One of the things that we read recently, uh, that Jennifer read for us was this, that they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And the Lord gave the instruction, do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire. And uh, further on, they're told to eat it in haste. They had to have their clothes ready for a rapid escape. Um, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And that particular instruction was to ensure that God's people were prepared and ready, for it was that very night that they would be led out of the oppression of Egypt into freedom, from slavery to free. And of course we know that at midnight God visited the land of Egypt, and this was the tenth in a list of devastating plagues. But this was the very worst of those ten, because every firstborn son of Egypt was killed, which was what precipitated the final release of the Israelites from the cruel grip of Pharaoh. But there was special significance in the lamb prepared and eaten by the Israelite households in terms of the judgment visited on the firstborn sons of Egypt. Um, Verse 7 gives this extra, rather strange instruction. The Israelites were to take some of the blood from the lamb that had been killed ready for eating uh, and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they were to eat the lambs. And uh, this rather bizarre thing is explained a little later on in verse 13 uh, where God tells them that the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So let's think about these things and try and uh, understand what exactly is happening. Now, the Passover lamb dies in place 
of the firstborn sons of the Israelite families. The lamb, therefore, is a substitution for the lives of the firstborn sons. And God's wrath remains with the Egyptians, but is deflected for the Israelites through the lamb that is slaughtered and then eaten. Now, there's actually a technical term for this, and I don't want to bore you with technical terms, but if you ever hear this term, you'll know what it's all about. Uh, The term is penal substitution. It's where somebody or someone takes the place of somebody or someone else who deserves to be punished, but takes that punishment themselves. Penal substitution. Uh, And I'm sure that's already ringing bells in your minds of, of what I'm going to say later. So the lamb is the penal substitute for the firstborn sons of the Israelite families um, when they follow these strict and detailed Passover instructions. And so the principle then of penal substitution um, found that prominence in the Passover ritual, which was adopted by the Israelites as a memory of that day when the Lord took them out of slavery from Egypt into the freedom of the promised land. Now, Moses, um, later on, gave clear instructions that they should do this in memory of that rescue moment. And they must repeat the Passover symbolically in the first month of every year. Uh, He said this, he said, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. So important then was this Passover um, meal and the associated activity that took place when the Lord brought freedom to those who were in slavery in Egypt that they are to remember this on a regular basis. Now actually we find if we read elsewhere in the Old Testament, um, there's a record of several very specific Passover celebrations that occurred at decisive moments in Israel's history. And again, this just underlines the very importance of the Passover to the Israelite people. Uh, For example, just before God... um, God's people were sent out from Sinai. Um, This is immediately after Moses had received the law for God. Uh, We read this uh, in, in Numbers. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. He said, make the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrated at the appointed time at twilight, which of course is the time that... If you remember, everything happened in the Passover at twilight on the 14th day of this month in accordance with all its rules and regulations. And then just a bit later on in their history, before the conquest of Jericho, which was the first city that was conquered in the promised land by God's people, um, we read this in Joshua. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, The Israelites celebrated the Passover. And uh, also, uh, one final thought here is, uh, as the 
Israelites return from exile later on in their history. Uh, We're told this in Ezra. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their brothers and priests and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. So there's an element here of seeking the Lord. And do notice also that now the Passover has become a communal practice rather than being in individual homes. The Passover is now something that they are doing together. So as we think of the dramatic events of Exodus 12, we find God's fulfillment of his promise made in his covenant with Abraham. Although Abraham indeed had many descendants, at the time of Moses and up to this point, they did not yet enjoy a land of their own, and most significantly, they were not free to enjoy a full relationship with God whilst they were still slaves. And remember that it was God who repeatedly demanded of Pharaoh this. He used to say, let my people go so that they may worship me. God didn't simply say to Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, let my people go so that they may worship me. In other words, that they might have the freedom to do this and that they might not be bound by the slavery which would, um, in many ways, diminish how they could worship their God. Indeed, under slavery, um, they were inhibited from that freedom of worship. So what is quite clear then is that the Passover lies at the very heart of God's salvation as described in Exodus. And in turn, it is also clear from that event that penal substitution lies at the heart of the Passover. God's judgment over the Egyptians brings for the Israelites salvation from the Egyptian oppression. But a further aspect of this is that the Passover sacrifice of the Lamb also brings salvation to the Israelites from the judgment of God. This plague of the firstborn, the tenth and final plague that ultimately delivers Israel from the Egyptian tyranny of slavery, um, that is one aspect, but we should also reflect that it was only the Egyptians who had been affected by the previous plagues, the first nine plagues, it was only the Egyptians who suffered. And now God promises that this final and most devastating plague will lead to freedom for the Israelites since Pharaoh is finally compelled to let God's people go. From Pharaoh's perspective, enough is enough. Uh, This was the very most devastating plague. And at that point, Pharaoh releases uh, the people of Israel into freedom. So God's judgment on Pharaoh through the plagues and especially through the final plague against the firstborn is the very means of liberation for the Israelites from Egypt. And we may view this episode in Exodus 12 as a model of God's deliverance of his people from hostile powers. As God delivers his people from slavery to Pharaoh, 
who was their oppressor, so also the Lord Jesus set you and me free from our slavery to sin. A fantastic parallel. But it all started with the Passover. That was God's first level of revelation of the salvation he would give. In Christ we receive our freedom from the slavery afforded by the world and by Satan. As slaves to sin we were once held in bondage by the world and the devil. But in Christ we are set free. We are liberated from our slavery. And this is the obvious parallel and link for us when we consider the Passover event of Exodus 12. But there is a particular difference to notice in this tenth plague against the firstborn. Because unlike the previous nine plagues where the Israelites remained unaffected, with the tenth plague, they are commanded to obey God's instructions as given to Moses and Aaron. And we read the detail of those instructions and the severity of them in a sense. And if we follow this line of thought, then the Israelites were actually to be delivered themselves from God's judgment rather than from Pharaoh. And it's here we find the full affirmation of this idea of penal substitution. With the first nine plagues, God makes a clear distinction between the Egyptians who are affected and the Israelites who are not affected. But with the tenth plague, this distinction is no longer automatic, but it now becomes conditional upon the Israelites following God's instructions. The firstborn of Israel Israel are not automatically spared the death associated with this tenth plague. Instead, a lamb must be slaughtered and its blood sprinkled on the doorframe of the house Uh, And the Lord said this, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the lamb becomes the substitute for the firstborn son and dies in his place so that he may be spared death. And if we were to read on into chapter 13 of Exodus, we would find this one-to-one correspondence between the life of the firstborn son and the life of a lamb is remembered in what became known as the ceremony of the consecration of the firstborn. So let's sort of summarize just where we are at the moment. The substitutionary element in the Passover is quite clear. Even though through our sort of Western minds uh, it might seem strange or even slightly bizarre, The plagues are clear instruments of God's judgment upon the oppression of the Egyptians and penal substitution is clearly the mechanism within God's detailed instructions to the Israelites to deflect God's judgment from his own people. Now, at this point, you may be just as puzzled as I am as to why God intended judgment not only for the Egyptians, which I would say is obvious because they were the oppressors, they were the captors, they were the ones who had brought God's people into slavery, but also we observe that there is judgment for God's people, the Israelites. 
And maybe at this point it's not quite as obvious as to why this is happening. And what we need to do then is to look elsewhere in the Old Testament to try and understand why it is that God judges not only the Egyptians but also his own people through this tenth plague. Now apparently some of the Israelites during their captivity um, by the Egyptians started to adopt the idol worship associated with the Egyptians. And we find uh, this um, in Ezekiel. I'll quickly read this through because it, it sort of answers that question that perhaps is on our minds at the moment. Uh, say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, on the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hands to the descendants of the house of Jacob, and I revealed myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand I said to them, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of Israel, sorry, bring them out of Egypt, uh, into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. Sorry, error there. Um, And I said to them, each of you get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on, And do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And it is that final statement then that answers the question that has perhaps been on our minds. It is because of the Israelites' adoption of Egyptian idolatry that they too deserved the judgment of God. As God's people, they had strayed from God's ways and adopted the ways of the godless Egyptians. But what this event in Exodus shows us is not a God who is always angry at his people, but rather it shows us the love and the mercy and the grace of God towards his people because it was God's initiative and God's gracious provision of this very means of atonement through this substitutionary sacrifice that spared God's people the judgment that they deserved. And in the New Testament, we see a very clear connection between the death of Jesus and this Passover sacrifice that we read about in Exodus. The parallel is very clear. The firstborn of Israel was spared from God's judgment on account of the blood of the Lamb slain in their place. Similarly, God's new covenant people, that's you and me, will be spared from God's judgment on the last day through the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read this amazing statement in 1 Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That is one of my, I know you're not meant to have favorite verses in the Bible, but it's one of my favorite sections because it reminds me of what Jesus has done for me. He gave his precious blood that I may be spared God's judgment. And of course the writer to the Hebrews reminds us Uh, That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is all part and parcel of God's great 
plan of salvation. And uh, Paul uh, writes to the Corinthians and he said, Your boasting is not good. Do you, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. And then he goes on to, say, to remind them, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, the Gospel writers also make this connection for us between Christ's death and the Passover sacrifice. And this is especially so when we look at the various accounts of the Last Supper, the meal that Jesus shares with his disciples shortly before his death. But what Jesus does in this case, as we read from Mark's Gospel, is he departs from the usual custom of introducing um, not the focus on the lamb, but in this case, um, the bread and the wine. And uh, such practice would have been expected for a traditional Passover celebration, but Jesus departs from them. And uh, we have this remarkable statement, which uh, we read from Mark's Gospel. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. He then took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. The reference made by Jesus to his body and in particular to his blood poured out alludes to his death which is to be the decisive fulfilment of the Passover festival. Whereas the old Passover festival focused on the body and blood of a lamb slain as a penal substitutionary sacrifice for the redemption of Israel, the Lord's Supper focuses on the body and blood of Christ who gave himself as that penal substitute for his people and therefore for you and for me. Jesus suffered and died in our place in order that we might be marked out by his blood and thus spared from God's wrath. And I cannot emphasize that wonder more. It is such an amazing thing. We now continue with that tradition commanded by our Lord where he says, do this in remembrance of me. No longer the blood of a lamb But we are now saved by the precious blood of the very Lamb of God who died in our place. And so we celebrate communion in response to the instruction of our Lord who says, do this in remembrance of me. And you and I may reflect upon the costly nature of our salvation, which has been bought by the infinitely valuable blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And it's there on that cross that he took our punishment for sin upon himself. He died in our place. This is the ultimate penal substitution that has redeemed us and that has freed us from slavery to sin and brought us into the freedom of worship of our God and our creator.
but it also has the wonderful addition of guaranteeing us an eternal place in heaven where we shall all be transformed into the likeness, the full likeness of Jesus, and we will share his inheritance in heaven as his co-heirs. And at this point, I simply say, can we actually get our minds round it? Um, Paul said, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And perhaps the only reasonable response at this point is to not worry about the details, but to worship our God and our Saviour.